You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to this edition of the McKinsey Podcast. I'm David Hunter, an editor with McKinsey Publishing. In this episode, we'll be talking about the changes underway in the paper and forest products industry. With me is Oscar Lindqvist, a senior partner in McKinsey's Stockholm office and leader of our paper and forest products practice. Welcome, Oscar. Thank you, David. Very happy to be here. We also have Peter Berg, a senior expert in McKinsey's Stockholm office, who co-leads the paper and forest products practice. Peter, thanks for being here today. Thank you very much, David. The paper and forest products industry is one of those key industries that underpin our modern society and lifestyles and that we tend to take for granted. As all of us consumers of information know, there is a strong tide pulling readers away from printed newspapers towards digital. And it's no surprise that this has been having a major impact on the paper industry. What may be less recognised is that lost demand in printed papers is being more than offset by demand from the growing global middle class for other wood-based products. These include tissue, packaging and textiles, and there's also new demand from new high-tech products based on wood. And digital is giving as well as taking away. While demand for newsprint paper is being lost as readers move online, the ever-increasing migration by consumers to make purchases online is generating demand growth for transport packaging. These are just a couple of the strands of the major changes underway. Oscar and Peter, how has the big picture evolved over the past 15 years? Is paper demand in irreversible decline and going to disappear? It is important to recognise, as you just did, that the the paper and forest products industry, as we think of it, is really a number of different industries with different uh, characteristics and development tracks, if you wish. Historically, many of them have been following a GDP growth pattern, more or less growing with GDP. If you look at papers for reading and printing, that pretty much starting to break off around the late 80s, early 90s, when the growth of the paper industry for printing and reading started to slow down in its growth. To the point in the late 2000, sort of around 2006, 7, 8, where it actually started to falling down drastically. And what we've seen over the last couple of years globally is a decline in the demand for those kinds of papers. At the same time, in other parts of the industry, you mentioned packaging, for example, we see a continuous GDP growth around the world. Uh, Tissue papers for sanitary products and so on, similar developments. Of course, you can also divide that into the different regions. We've had a tremendous growth, as in so many other products in China and parts of Asia as well, whereas the more mature markets in Europe and North America have kind of stagnated or come down to lower levels of growth. If you look at this going forward, Where do we expect it to end up? We see very different growth paths and growth trajectories for the different segments of the paper and forest products industry. And if you think of printing and writing papers, we see the decline probably continuing. It is quite unclear whether there will be a floor somewhere where you reach an equilibrium where we're still using papers for reading and writing, but at a lower level than we do today. Or will they disappear completely because people have become so used, particularly younger generations, of reading and writing and doing everything in terms of communications through electronic means? Given these trends, what sort of initiatives are top of mind for executives in the industry today? What are the major challenges facing the paper and forest products industry? Building on uh, the, the sort of vignette or background that Peter described, with especially the situation where 
Many paper and forest products players are in fact present in several parts of the industry simultaneously. They are of course, uh, you know, top of mind is, is facing this challenge of a very different growth outlook and, and uh, industrial outlook. So that means at the same time, um, probably being able to face overcapacity or challenges in some assets where the decline is more pronounced. But of course, also being able to go after the growth um, where it exists and, if possible, actually use your existing asset base, which to some extent can actually be reapplied between different parts of the industry and actually shift towards a much more stable or even attractive growth mix. So that's one very attractive and very important piece for our CEOs and executives. We also see an increased focus on actually having access to basically the, the, the source of paper and forest products, which is the fiber. Essentially, whilst you know you see papers in decline or packaging or tissue growing, if you net that out, there's actually going to be more scarcity or need for attractive fibers, especially those that we can breathe in the uh, northern parts of the globe. So getting access to the right raw materials is still very important. And I think if we were to mention maybe one more theme, which is of course not unique to the pulp and paper or forestry practice, it is in fact the wave of various digitization initiatives that are happening. Why so? Well, one of course, because any challenged industry will of course look to efficiency and effectiveness to drive out cost and increase performance. But also, which is uh, maybe not, not so well understood, the paper and forest products industry, we would argue, is one of those industries that's mostly set up because of relatively advanced technologies already, because of very continuous processes in manufacturing, etc are very well set up to actually handle some of the new digital technologies that are available. And if I may just add to some of Oscar's point there, the two first one on shifting assets and the fiber issue, if you wish, the, the shifting of assets is incredibly interesting and important for many companies to, for some of them, to move away from those segments that are not developing very positively, right, and shift to other segments as they are relatively interchangeable in terms of what the machines can produce. You think of a traffic jam, right? Uh, you have all the lanes going very slowly, and then suddenly one lane is going a little bit faster, corresponding to a, a, a segment that grows a little bit faster in its demand. Then suddenly everyone wants to jump in there and that lane of traffic stands still as well, right? So there is a bit of a risk of the dynamics in the industry when people move between different segments, that an issue that sort of starts in one segment may propagate and you have ripple effects to other segments. So that's one thing that is very important, as Oscar mentioned, for companies to handle in the next couple of years. The second one on fiber supply and the importance of having access to, to cheap and good fiber, as Oscar mentioned, it's almost a bit of a tug of war coming up between different kinds of fibers. We have a certain situation in recycled fiber. If you take average across the world and across all products, roughly half of the raw material, fiber raw material into a paper product is recycled somehow. You have that as opposed to virgin fiber, fresh fibers of different kinds. And in addition, you have new technologies and new product developments around what people call nanofibers that may add to this tug of war and how you use different kinds of fibers in different ways. And that's an incredibly exciting development. It requires a bit of time to see how that's going to evolve. Can we talk more about the global growth of the industry? Across many, many industries, the growing wealth of consumers in the different parts of Asia 
and now we're starting to see it happening in parts of Africa as well, seems to be leading to new momentum for growth in demand. Could we talk about how that is playing out for the paper and forest products industry? Yes, but I think we need to look at that question um, at least divided into the main segments. If you, for instance, start with packaging, one of the largest and well-known to all of us as consumers of these products, you are absolutely right, David, we are seeing an underlying shift in terms of where the GDP sits in the world. And by and large, to Peter's point earlier, these products have previously been very much driven by, by GDP growth. So when you see, for instance, the combination that we have seen in China, of on one hand a strong GDP, another, another one being a rapid increase of middle class, and thirdly, and not the least, actually, uh, the urbanization we're seeing, obviously see a multiplier effect on that demand and actually very attractive growth rates in those areas. We are seeing similar patterns now happening in, for instance, Eastern Africa, uh, mind you, from a very low base. Um, and we are always expecting that we will see the same also in India, for instance, in the, in the decades to come. If you take that as the underlying growth, uh, you can then overlay that with some of the other growth drivers that also further accentuate. Most noticeably, if we stay on packaging, topics such as you know, e-commerce and, and other, let's say, trends uh, related to that. E-commerce is obviously one trend that is quickly changing the retail industry and uh, currently estimated to probably grow three, four times that of the sort of overall retail industry. Similarly, if we stick to retail as the example, there's other shifts like the fact that we will have much more what we call retail-ready packaging, meaning that we actually have packaging materials being used in the store, both for transport and marketing and, and actually ease of use and so forth, which are also changing very quickly and provide other opportunities. David, your question was on growth, which is absolutely relevant. What we should also remember is that one of the challenges that this industry has had and continues to have is the balance between supply and demand. So it's not only where does it grow the most, but also which companies and which sort of parts of the world, which regions add capacity. And we will see that balance develop over the years. What we've seen, for example, in China, up to about 1995, China didn't have any real modern production capacity of paper or board for packaging purposes. Since then, it has grown to become the world's largest producer of paper and board. It's also become the world's largest consumer of paper and board, but it also has a sort of a growing need to also have a footprint on the global markets to export out of China. So from the perspective of the companies within the industries, uh, the balance between the supply and demand becomes even more important than only the demand. Then just to add one point to Oscar's points around uh, growth in the regions and particularly China, it's interesting to see how the expectations of Chinese demand growth has changed over the years. If you talk to a number of different industry observers, the, the expectations on 2020 demand for paper and board in China was very, very high up to about 2011. From then on, it has actually leveled off and decreased and matured, if you wish, so that the, the expectations for demand from China is now significantly lower than it was only five years back. And, and the expectations on the percentage growth have also been moderated quite a bit. So it's, that's also something we'll see where it plays out in the future. I'm going to switch direction slightly now. You've mentioned that there's a need for new virgin fibre. Where is the industry looking in the world to develop that resource? 
That's a very good question. And it's a critical question for many pulp and paper companies. Uh, what we've seen, if you look a little bit historically, what we've seen over the last decades is that, or go even further back, if you wish, very originally, most of the paper production in the world was in the northern hemisphere, close to the forests of northern U.S., Canada, the Scandinavian countries, where you have a lot of spruce and pine trees out of which you made sawmill products, solid wood products, as well as paper. Over the time, it shifted also to the southern hemisphere, for example, to South America, to Brazil, where you have, it's easier to quickly grow trees. Uh, and this, in this case, it's eucalyptus trees mostly, acacia and eucalyptus trees, that have a tendency of growing faster than the spruce and pine trees of the northern hemisphere. So there's been, over the last decades, a significant movement for some kinds of fibers, the kinds of fiber that come from leaf-bearing trees, down to the southern hemisphere. This is often in the form of, of plantations, so huge plantations on flatlands in, say, uh, Brazil uh, or in more hilly lands of, say, Chile. Going forward, the industry needs to look for both more such opportunities, but also, as to, to one of Oscar's earlier points, need to look for fibers uh, of more strength, of longer fibers from the kinds of trees and forests that you have up in the northern hemisphere. There is a need to more efficiently, in an environmentally correct way, use the forests of the northern hemisphere. And this may be in Russia, for example, which has an enormous stock of these kinds of forests uh, sort of th uh, throughout its, its area. It could be in North America or the northern parts of Europe. When we look at that equation that Peter just described, um, you could take one of two stands or maybe the combination thereof. One is to say, well, if we project out and we look at uh, what will happen in terms of needs per, per segment and what might happen even to topics we haven't discussed, which is sort of the quality of the fiber we actually recycle in our day-to-day -day products and so forth. One would say we could be looking at a quite big or substantial scarcity of the type of fiber that we know in the northern hemisphere, um, essentially what we call softwood. You could take a slightly different stand and say, well, it's in those types of situations that technology uh, comes at the forefront and we see development and we might see new mixed species or developed species increasingly also coming through what we call hardwood, so basically what comes from the plantations, uh, mainly through eucalyptus. Who knows exactly where on that scale we will end up, but again, um, having access to the right fiber, and if you're in the industry making the right bets on fiber, we would argue becomes increasingly important. You've mentioned that there's some very forward-looking innovation work going on in the industry. Can you give some examples of the innovative products that are starting to come out from pulp and wood companies? So carbon fibers, for example, uh, is very much in a research stage currently, how to develop these carbon fibers from the lignin component of wood to make them strong enough uh, to be useful in, say, the hulls of boats or uh, for cars or for uh, aerospace applications, and to make them cheap enough to be able to compete with fossil-based carbon fibers. Right? So that's very much sort of in, in progress, if you wish, uh, around the world, in, in different parts of the world. The viscose textile, which you often have in the inner linings of suits and for shirts and, and blouses and so on, is originally a wood-based textile, wood-fiber-based textile. 
that has been sort of long known. It's it's an old it's an old technology really. What has happened over the last couple of years is that there's been almost an explosion of both the demand for those kinds of textiles and therefore also the production of the wood product or, or, or wood forest products that leads to those textiles. And that demand much comes from Asia, uh, but it also comes from a higher sustainability awareness in North America and Europe, for example. There is another theme, which is arguably the innovation that's taking place closer to the customer, closer to the different business models that this industry provides. What do we mean by that? We are seeing, again, if we go back to the packaging space, increasing innovation around how to use paper in combination with other materials um, to get uh, closer to applications we didn't use to play in before. Fresh meats, fresh foods is one example. There are innovations around can we actually replace the non-recyclable materials in packaging. The most sort of holy grail topic has always been can we re reduce the aluminium that we today use in our drinking packages, especially those that are carbonated, and therefore actually be able to have a much more environmentally friendly package. Um, other innovations are much more linked to the whole value chain. If you search for packaging these days, you will not have to search far to get into topics such as smart packaging, intelligent packaging, whatever you call it, which often has to do with how do I best trace a product? How can I use the package itself to communicate with my customer? How can I use the package to prevent counterfeits, stealth, other problems that might occur, especially in long and relatively in transparent value chains? Thanks very much, Oscar Linkvist and Peter Berg. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you, David. Likewise from us, very fascinating conversation. David, thank you very much for having us. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. To learn more about McKinsey's research on this and other topics, please visit mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.